Greetings, PPL family. This is Paul Williams, President and CEO of Project for Pride and Living, and welcome to the Race, Place, and Policy podcast. This is a space uh, where we can have engaging discussions, promote ideas, listen, learn, and, and identify kind of barriers and headwinds that are impacting all of us. And we thank you for joining us in this discussion. Uh, as many of you know, uh, our work at PPL uh, really is infused uh, with issues of race, place, and policy. We believe that talking about issues of race, one, impacts uh, all of the folks who, who live with us, come through our doors, and are part of our work. Um, and, and place and neighborhoods matter in our work. And so we want to be talking about that as an issue and policy matters. How do we show up in the policy environment? So those are three dimensions of our work here at PPL that we've been really intentionally talking about. And this podcast is one way uh, to kind of delve into those issues more deeply. This month, our conversation is Black homeownership. The discrepancy between white and Black homeownership, as many of you know, is, is way off in this country. And in Minnesota in particular, we have among the largest gaps in the country between white and Black home ownership rates. Uh, PPL started as uh, an organization to repair homes and, and uh, uh, fix up homes in South Minneapolis. As we've grown over the years, much of our uh, work has been really to help folks, particularly folks of color, um, build wealth um, through home ownership and other kinds of asset building work. Uh, I'm joined today by Henry Rucker, a realtor, financial coach, and the manager of PPL's home ownership program. So welcome, Henry. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Paul. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. Fabulous. Well, I actually want to start, Henry, and, and, and just ask you just to talk about how did you come to this work? Tell us a little bit about your background and, and what brought you to kind of the world of, of, of asset building, financial coaching, and home ownership. Well, I'm a born and raised Minneapolis kid, born here in 1970, and my father and my mother are educators, and I went to school in Georgia, I went to Clark Atlanta University. Once I graduated with a degree in marketing, um, I was looking for a job, and to be honest, one of the first offers I got was uh, TCF Bank offered me a position, and I went to be a banker at TCF Bank, and from there, a very good friend of mine by the name of Anna Michelle Frazier was a realtor, and me and her son played tag football at that time. And uh, she told me about an opportunity at TCF Bank. And I uh, applied and became a banker. And then that led to me going into the mortgage world. Uh, I used to work for a lady by the name of Luana Brown. I had a company called Heritage Community Mortgage. Uh, from there, I left and went to work for U.S. Bank for quite a bit of time. And my daughter was born. And my mother said I looked stressed out. Uh, and a good friend of mine by the name of Mark Robinson, I was working at a, a place called the Cultural Wellness Center that we were very good friends with. And they started a building on the east side called the East Side Financial Center. Uh, with the help of Rapal, uh, at that time it was Pay Lake Community Partners, now it's Nexus Community Partners. And I went there and interviewed with a young woman by the name of Mei Zhang, that also is an OPPL staff member. And I applied for the financial coaching position and it took off from there. Um, I've always loved money. I've always loved the aspect of helping people build money, build uh, assets through home ownership, life insurance, investing. And I just think it was my calling. Like, like as I mentioned, my parents were educators and I feel like I found my happy place. Uh, and from there, from LSS, I came to PPL, been here for almost nine years now, It'll be nine years in January. That's fabulous. Um, and quite a journey. And, and I, I'm, I'm struck by the number of folks you, I, you mentioned, you know, who were kind of key access points and supporters, mentors, you know, 
colleagues along the way that that kind of helped you. I think that's a good lesson for all of us. And, and I know many of us have that kind of a similar path. Um, uh, and, and I'm wondering, can you just talk a little bit about uh, uh, PPL's work around asset building, financial coaching, and home ownership? Just, just describe kind of the key components of what we do here at PPL and what you do. Well, one thing that uh, keeps me at PPL and really I enjoy because I get to touch a lot of different parts of PPL. So we have the housing, we have, you know, the thousands of families that are housing us every night. We also have the Trinity High Schools. We also have the employment training program. And then we also have the home ownership division, right, as far as around asset building for home ownership. And what we're trying to do is get people to have financial empowerment. So if you're a resident with PPL and you're looking to talk to somebody about a budget, a credit account, savings, you have the opportunity to work with a financial coach, that's myself or somebody on the team. The same with our employment training uh, cohorts. Everybody that comes to PPL, we are looking to make sure that they understand when they get that job, you know, how to invest in your 401k, if it's a 403b, how to make sure you have a, a solid budget to help you from start living from paycheck to paycheck to now to start building long-term assets. The work really around home ownership kind of started when we had the crisis a few years back. And, you know, we had a lot of people in North Minneapolis lose their homes. PPL stepped in, started buying properties, and we started the rent-to-home program called Northside Homes. And then that just led into more work with Minnesota Housing and Minnesota Home Ownership Center, really around home ownership capacity and financial wellness about long-term creation of wealth for the BIPOC community with the emphasis with African-Americans. But PPL as a whole organization, we always are talking about how do we get people to that next level of asset building? They might just be opening that checking account for the, for the very first time. It might be about applying for a credit card. What's a good product? What's not a good product? So it's really helping people understand the baseline of building long-term financial success. Yeah, and, and you and I have talked a lot, Henry, um, about that baseline financial success and particularly within within the Black community from which both you and I come. Uh, and and actually, I, I come from my family home ownership actually has been a has been a a priority and a reality for many years um now in again largely in neighborhoods that haven't had a lot of value and for me in the the historic rondo and and summit you neighborhood for you in south minneapolis um talk talk a little bit about um about what's behind the apprehension in in communities of color particularly the black community in terms of how we think about money, I, I, you, you've shared with me some really good insights about about kind of the cultural aspects uh, of, of of financial health and wellness. Can you just say a little bit about that? Yeah. So one thing I think we have to do as a community is really talk about what is an asset. An asset is something that's going to appreciate over time. Um, I tell people all the time, home ownership is a real asset. You buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars, you live there for thirty years. Hopefully you sell that asset for 300000 you owe zero to the bank. Um, a car can be an asset when it's paid off, right? But we want to make sure we're buying something that we can afford and pay off very quickly. Savings is an asset. Anything that's going to appreciate over time. One thing I'm also trying to get a lot of people to understand is life insurance is an asset. Life insurance passes on tax-free. We have to understand that where we live is also valuable. Um, one thing um, a lot of people hear me say when I talk in the community, we don't live in hoods. We live in neighborhoods. You mentioned that you grew up in the Rondo Summit U neighborhood. We have to change the language that we're using around neighborhoods. I live in the Powderhorn neighborhood in South Minneapolis, not too far from where George Floyd unfortunately was murdered, but that's the Powderhorn neighborhood. And I share with people that in the 20 years I've lived on, in my house, I've never had a black homeowner on my block. 
I'm the only black homeowner on my block and I live in South Minneapolis. And if you told most people that, they would not believe it because I say I live in the Potterburn neighborhood. So we want to start teaching our young adults about saving money, about making sure that when you want to buy that car, you have enough to put down and you don't have to finance it for 72 months. You can finance it for 24 months or 12 months. We want to talk about the fact that home ownership should start in our early 20s, mid-30s at the latest. Right now, the average Black homeowner is about 44 years old in the state of Minnesota. We want to change that narrative and start looking at how we really look at an asset. Being able to walk into a department store and buy something through your checking account, to me, is a true asset versus having to put it on credit and then finance it for the next 12 months. So we want to get, change that mindset of how we look at money. Um, I, I, I tell people all the time, one perfect way to look at that, look at the last time Michael Jordan made a shoe commercial. He no longer needs to make shoe commercials because the shoe sells itself. As African-Americans, we are very brand loyal people. And a lot of times that brand loyalty can get us in trouble because, again, I'm not saying a pair of Jordans is not nice to have, but it's when we go to school, we just need a pair of tennis shoes. That is a, there's a big difference between a want and a need. I want the Air Jordans, but I need a pair of tennis shoes. And I think as we start to change that mindset of how we look at money, um, I think it will help for years to come. But we have to start with understanding that home ownership is something we have the right to do and we should start doing it because we have a legacy of having a lot of lifelong renters. So we never look at home ownership as something that can actually help for us. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, and and on on the on the home ownership side, then and kind of uh, uh, the disparities that we talked about again, particularly here in in Minnesota, um, uh, uh, just talk about what are some of the key data points, right, that stick out to you regarding? What, say more about those disparities and what those actually look like. Well, again, I think it's it's years of being told that we can't be homers, or years of distrust of the banking system. Uh, when I was an ex-banker, I used to tell people the bank never takes your money, right? But if you overdraft your bank account, we do. They did have the right to charge you a non-sufficient fund uh, fee. That's not something the bank did. That's just from us not again going back and have that solid baseline of understanding what's in our checking account, what's in our savings account, and how much we have to spend. That also to me affects then when you become a homeowner, right? Because you say, "Oh, I have a low credit score," but that creates a credit score, right? You can go to the barbershop and borrow $500 from your local barber, your local beautician or the corner store and pay that back. But that's not on your credit report, right? That is a form of credit, but it's not affecting your credit report. So what we want to start doing is making sure that people understand that asset of buying that house can create long-term wealth, right? That's something you can pass on to your children. That's something you can pass on to your grandchildren. I think one thing that hurts us, we have a lot of people of color in the state of Minnesota, African-Americans that work for Fortune 500 companies. They're not homeowners because they think, well, I'm going to be here for two to five years, right? Then we also have a lot of people that grew up in rental situations and they think, I'm 18, I want to get out of my house. And next thing you know, they're 28 and they never even thought about home ownership, right? Those are things that we want to start to let people know that, hey, you want to buy early because, again, you sign a 30-year commitment. We have a lot of people, data shows that we have a lot of people, especially African-Americans in the Twin Cities that have the income to become homeowners, but they never took that, they never jumped off the cliff. You gotta know when you jump off the cliff, the parachute's gonna open. And by working with organizations such as PPL and our financial coaching program that is totally free to you, we can show you those steps to get you ready for homeownership. I think there's myths about, oh, I need 20% down. That's not true. 
There's a lot of banks out here right now doing 3% FHA standard is 3.5% down. They're saying, oh, I need to have, you know, an 800 credit score. Nope. There's a lot of banks that are doing deals at 640 credit scores or 660 credit scores. Every bank also have, has to have what we call a CRA program. As Community Reinvestment Act, every bank has to have a program that is geared towards what we consider low to moderate income buyers. A lot of people misunderstand what low to moderate income means. That's why you want to work with organizations such as PPO, because at some banks that might be 80,000, at some banks that might be 103,000. So again, it's really getting people to understand, talk to somebody. If you're sick, you go to the doctor, right? But if you have a financial question around financial empowerment for wealth creation, why would you not stop at an organization such as PPO and say, hey, show me how to get into home ownership and let us guide you down that path because most people have the credit, they have the income. They may be lacking a little bit of savings, but then we can set up a plan to get them ready for that that next step. Yeah, and and the um uh uh the the you touched on a lot of things that I want to come back to a couple of those, but but the gap. Um, uh, my understanding that the statistics, the metrics that we kind of measure these things by, nationally, seventy four percent of white families own their homes. 44% of black families own their homes. So about a 30 percentage point gap in Minnesota, we have among the highest home ownership gaps or not only the highest gap, but, but the highest rate for white households at 77%, but only 25% of black families in Minnesota uh, uh, own their homes resulting in a 52% uh, percentage point gap. So we hit that gap between the black and white households is, 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 uh, that's, what's the highest in the nation. Um, I'm, I'm curious, why is this discrepancy so bad in Minnesota? You, you talked about kind of the, the lack of knowledge and access, um, uh, uh, to, to kind of the tools, but say a little bit more about, uh, about what's behind that gap unique to Minnesota. I think it started years ago, too, when um, a lot of uh, veterans, Black veterans, came back from the war and they were not able to qualify for a mortgage. So, again, I think what happened was we had a lot of Black families become renters. And we as children and grandchildren assumed grandma and grandpa owned that house, but they were actually renting. And then I think there were some bad things that happened to us over the years when the landlord knocked on the door and said, hey, you know, you're past doing your rent. Um, that goes a little bit of a shock because now they see maybe grandma and grandpa lose the house. They believe they don't want to go down that route. I also believe, again, it starts at a very young age. Um, I'm proud to say, like I said, I've been in my house for 20 years. When my daughter came home from the hospital, she came home to a house. She's never been in a rental situation. I think it's going to take us generations and generations to fix that because we have a lot of people that have only been renters. And again, they're afraid there's a big distrust between African-Americans in the banking system. We hear about it on the news. Um, we hear about it in the newspaper. And we continue to see family members and past uh, co-workers that uh, lost their job. I mean, I'm sorry, lost their house due to maybe a change of job or they got a very bad product, right? They were taken advantage of. And that makes other people afraid like, hey, no, Paul and Henry, I don't want to lose my house. So if I don't never go into that situation, I can't lose my house. So I think it's a mindset that we have to change in the African-American community. And I think the biggest difference is for me personally, is when you grow up in a house, many white families, that is the first thing you think about is wealth creation is buying a house. You see it generation after generation after generation. So it's not even something they think about. They know they're going to be homeowners. And I don't think we have that mindset yet in the African-American community in Minnesota because as I mentioned, we have a lot of people that do qualify, have the income, 
to buy houses, but they're afraid and they don't have anybody that's working with them hand in hand to make sure they become successful homeowners. And then another thing is when you become a homeowner, we want to make sure it's long-term. We don't want you to be in the house for five years, 10 years, and then maybe lose it. We want you to be in there for 20 to 30 years. And when you sell that house or you give it to your children or grandchildren, I think that would continue to build long-term success. But Minnesota itself has to do a better job. We've had a lot of programs as well that were launched that I think had good intentions, but it didn't have any real teeth to it. Um, so I think it's also a better opportunity for the banks to hire more uh, people of color, uh, especially loan officer positions, create more realtor programs that create more realtors of color. And also when it comes to title companies, if you look at the industry as a whole in Minnesota, 92%, right? This is really pretty much nationwide. Most agents are white. Most agents are not of color. So we have less than 2% African-American agents in the state of Minnesota, which to me then affects the way younger professionals look at the industry as well, because they don't see representation. Yeah, well, and I'm just, uh, so again, how those systems and institutions and businesses reflect uh, our communities is is part of that answer, uh, is what I hear you saying. I'm also curious, there's been a lot of discussion in, in the last few years around kind of the impact of racially based um, deed restrictions. Uh, and, and while in many cases, those don't, they don't get enforced anymore, the, the systemic impact of those restrictions uh, is something that has kind of reinforced um, uh, uh, kind of lending practices, have reinforced racial patterns, segregation patterns uh, across, uh, across many communities across the country, but certainly here in the Twin Cities uh, and, and in St. Paul. What's your sense? Have you tracked on any of that research and, and any of that discussion? Yes, yeah, so there's, a, there's a, a website people can go to, Mapping Prejudice, um, some great work that's come out of that. Um, a lot of people don't realize there were covenants um, that said, indeed, restrictions that said you could not sell your house to a person of color. And I don't know, again, if people understand if, if this is going on for 50, 60, 80 years, and everybody in your family says, well, I would like to buy a house, but I don't believe I can buy a house. That's how we get further and further behind. And I think a lot of people need... Current homeowners should find out if they have on their current uh, deed any covenants that say, hey, you can't sell to a person of color, because that would give you a better idea of how this has been set up to help hurt people of color for years and not help um, those unfortunate people. So I'll give you an example of that, FHA, right? FHA is three and a half percent down. FHA was created to allow more people that were not of color to get into home ownership with a lower down payment. Now that FHA is being used more by African-Americans and BIPOC families, there's a shot on FHA like, oh, FHA means you might be poor. That doesn't mean you're poor. That just means you're putting less down, but you're still mortgage ready, mortgage qualified. So we have to change the terms uh, of how we look at certain programs. We have to make sure people are understanding how those covenants and deed restrictions played a role in generations, many generations not becoming homeowners because they felt like they couldn't become, become homeowners because according to law, you could discriminate back in the or 20, 40, 60 years ago, you could discriminate against a person of color because it said, hey, well, I can't sell to you because if I sell to you, then I could get in trouble as well. So that mindset has to shift um, around how we look at wealth creation and everybody has to recognize that this has been put in place for many years and now we're paying the price for it. Yeah. 
Well, and it's it, so 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 there, there's a combination of kind of systemic barriers and systemic practices that have reinforced segregation and exclusion. And at the same time, we also have cultural barriers uh, and, and, that, and hurdles that that we need to uh, kind of rethink and, 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 and refashion within our communities. And part of that is, is about the work that you've been doing with PPL. So let's talk a little bit more about that work at PPL. And, um, and, and can you just talk about the, uh, the, the range of different uh, tools within the homeownership work um, that we're using to try and increase uh, homeownership in, in BIPOC communities? Yeah, well, we're blessed. We uh, we have great relationships with all the local banks, the larger banks, and the smaller community banks and credit unions. Um, one thing that has really helped us, uh, I believe, get more people to uh, come to PPO for assistance, and we also teach home stretch. So that's a first-time homebuyer class. It's an eight-hour course that you basically learn the basis about becoming a homeowner. Um, the lovely part about home stretch right now is we're able to offer it for free. It's sponsored by NARAB, which is the National Association of Real Estate Brokers. Uh, so NARAB has been sponsoring our classes on a monthly basis, along with some additional banks. But the key about, to me, knowing how to buy a house is having the basics, right? So we talked about income. We talked about credit. Um, there are a lot of different down payment programs that are out there. PPO has associations with all those different down payment providers. We understand what it takes to get you into a house. We also understand the different CRA programs that I mentioned that different banks have. So what we always tell our participant, we're gonna give you a, a list of different lenders that you can contact that we believe best fits your scenario. Cause everybody's scenario is different. I think there's, it's not a cookie cutter mentality. Everybody's gonna have a different situation. Some people might have more income, less uh, savings. Some people might have more savings, less income. So we want to find the right lender that fits you. PPO is a HUD certified coach counseling agency. So we are HUD approved, um, which also means we give three names whenever we make a recommendation to a participant. But having success has allowed us to grow that department, right? The realtors know they can trust us. Lenders know they can trust us. We do get a lot of referrals from bankers where they have clients that aren't ready yet. So still someone from a very good friend of mine by the name of Trent Bowman, it's never a hard no, it's a slow yes. And that's something we're always trying to push in the community that it's never a hard no, it's a slow yes. You may not be able to buy that house today in September, but you might be able to buy that house in September of 2023. Now the goal is what do we need to do to get you ready to buy that house in September of 23? It might be working on a budget. It might be raising your credit score. It might be helping you create more savings. It might be connecting with the right lenders that have the best product for you. So that slow yes actually turned into a hard yes in August or uh, July of next year. So you're ready to close on your house in September of 2023. Another thing we always have done really well with is making sure the people that work with PPO, our employment training and people that house with us understand what we do and how we can get them into homeownership as well. So I think we built a really strong name for ourselves in the community with smaller nonprofits, other local government agencies that when they, a participant comes to PPO, they're gonna get treated right and they're gonna be taken care of. And we're gonna really tell them what they need to do and say, oh, you know, we're not, we're too busy for you. We can't help you right now. We're gonna take you through all the steps that you're gonna need to know to become a successful homeowner. So, so we're, we're offering the home stretch classes, which is a way to kind of learn about the basics of home ownership. Uh, we've got kind of ongoing financial coaching. And I know you do that, a lot of that work 
uh, not only with uh, uh, with folks who come through the home stretch classes, but also, as you said, in, in PPL's employment and training programs, we do a lot of financial empowerment and budgeting uh, and kind of coaching there. I know you mentioned within our housing developments. And, and again, I, I, uh, I have just heard, um, you know, so, some of the some of the women in some of our uh, supportive housing programs, you know, um, families, you know, women with kids who are coming out of the shelter system, you know, can't get enough actually of that conversation with you and others about budgeting. No one's ever talked with them about that. And, and uh, the, you know, the, the notion is, well, well, they don't want to talk about homeownership or they don't want to talk about financial literacy, but in fact, they, there's a genuine thirst for that. Um, and I know you've done some really good work in, in that arena. Um, and then down payment assistance, you mentioned, can you just talk a little bit about some of the innovative new work that we're doing there uh, here in this last year? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, uh, we've been blessed. Uh, we were able to receive a private donation to help buyers that come through PPL that may not qualify for some traditional down payment assistance programs. So most banks have with, uh, something attached to their CRA uh, portfolio loan program and down payment assistance. If you can qualify for a Minnesota housing uh, program, you also can qualify for some down payment assistance. And a lot of cities are also trying to help with this. Um, City of Minneapolis has a very strong down payment assistance uh, called Home, which is Homeownership Opportunity Minneapolis. You also have a, a Woodbury has money. Bloomington's working on a pot of money. Golden Valley's working on a pot of money. So a lot of cities are saying, hey, we also want to help with uh, creating more down payment assistance to get BIPOC families in the home ownership. The one key thing that I did mention though, PPL was very blessed to be able to step in sometimes. We've had scenarios where buyers were not able to qualify for maybe a Minnesota housing program or a CRA program and get the down payment assistance. So PPL was able to step in and, and assist them with that. And what's really nice about that is uh, the money that we are able to give in the form of a second mortgage it is forgivable over five years. So again, that's gonna help create that long-term equity for that buyer. Um, so the, the dollar amounts are either 5,000 or $10,000. Um, it is forgiven, um, again, over five-year period. It, it, what we've seen is we've been able to fill some gaps, right? And that's what's really nice about that uh, assistance that we're able to offer is we've been able to help those buyers that probably would be told no and they've already given notice to a landlord, they're expecting to close, and now all of a sudden there's a hiccup, that deal would probably fall apart. PPL is gonna step in and help them get over that finish line, which I think is critical, because again, I would say probably 90% of those participants we have helped are families of color and mainly African-American. So now, instead of that negativity going on in the community saying, hey, I tried, they can say, hey, you know what, I tried, I was successful, and PPO stepped in and helped me at the last minute. And I think that speaks on the success stories that uh, we are putting out here in the community to let people know that homeownership can work. You just, again, you wanna have the right team in, in, in place with you. And, and, and how are we doing so far this year in this kind of new, uh, with this new tool? So far this year, we have closed 47 loans, um, various different pots of money. Uh, we have used some of the private donor funds we use different programs from different lenders. Um, we are blessed to do a presentation a few weeks ago with uh, SPAR, which is the St. Paul Association of Realtors. And we figured out that we have closed 20, closed transactions with 24 different lenders. So I just wanna kind of repeat that we've closed with 24 different banks. So that's why I tell people, we're always gonna to try to connect you with the right bank or lender that works for you. And I think that is key because so many times people say, well, I tried here. 
that's okay. Bank A or lender A may not did your transaction, but we might know somebody at lender D or bank D that can close your transaction. So I, I, I believe having 24 different relationships speaks volumes to the commitment that PPO has around putting people of emphasis on African-Americans into home ownership. Yeah, and, and I mean, just boy, taking that 47, so I know in, in, uh, in the most recent year, I think we did uh, prior to, to creating this new down payment assistance tool, we had done about 30, I think it was 33 uh, first time BIPOC households, uh, getting them into home ownership. Um, our goal with this new tool was to double that to 60. And I think we're, we're easily going to get to that number if, if not, uh, if not surpass it, but just the, the 47 homes that I was just doing the simple math here, the 47 homes that have been closed or, or families that have closed this year on that home ownership opportunity, that translates into about $14 million in, 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 in equity. So those families don't have that equity yet, but, but we've created a pathway to equity and wealth, actually long-term, longer-term generational wealth, ideally. Um, and when you and I you know, recently did a, a, a presentation and we just kind of did the math on some of the, uh, we had closed something like 90, probably now over, well over 100 uh, closings in the last few years. Um, PPL also builds and rehabs single family homes for first time home buyers. I think in the last five years, we've done uh, close to 35 or 40 of those homes. Um, uh, when, when you add all of that up and, and really kind of multiply that by, you know, a very modest, you know, per home value, you get upwards of 40 to $50 million dollars in, in what I call household value, equity, the pathway to equity. And so, so for PPL, this has been a really important uh, area of growth. Um, that single family uh, uh, new construction and rehab that we do, creating new single family homes, we, we, we do as part of a larger neighborhood uh, building strategy, right? We wanna, we wanna build ownership in the in and around the north side, particularly up in the Hawthorne neighborhood, where we've been working for, for over 20 years. We've done, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, 25 homes. Habitats has been a partner with us up there. Um, but, but boy, when you look at that four square block area in what's called the Hawthorne Eco Village, you really see the impact of ownership kind of in a, in a sub you know, pocket of, of that neighborhood. And over time, that really does begin to transform neighborhoods and communities. The home ownership work you all are doing is happening all over the Twin Cities now, certainly in the core cities of St. Paul and Minneapolis. Um, but, but I'm really excited about, about where that work is going and, and, uh, and, and, and how that's happening. So um, I've, I've heard you say, Henry, that every closing counts and, and, um, and, and the work that we're doing is building wealth one homeowner at a time. Um, and I want to kind of ask the question about scale. Um, it, it, it is what we're doing enough? And, and are we, can we really move the needle on this pro problem or, or, or is this kind of just a drop in the bucket? Um, well, I would say that uh, we are making progress, um, but we do need more people such as PPO, other uh, nonprofits, other agencies to really understand that this is a long-term 
solution. It's gonna. It's not gonna happen overnight. It's gonna take a long time. I'm, I'm thinking ten to fifteen years easily because you still have a lot of people that are not willing to try. And the idea is we're trying to get more people to try. The more people we can get to try, the more successful we're going to be. We had a closing last Friday. Um, an older couple bought in Cambridge, Cambridge, right? Um, we were able to use our private donor dollars to help them get over that finish line. They typically would not have been a homeowner. So when I say it's going to be a slow process, I do think we're going to get there, though. Now, how soon will we get there? That's a good question. I don't know. But I do think we're going to get there because now that homeowner just showed that older family just showed their three children that they can become homeowners. So now those, those three children start to buy houses. Hopefully their children would then go on to buy houses. That's why I said this is going to be generational. It's going to take a few generations maybe to really close that gap and get it to where we're at 70 and maybe 70 or 70 and 55 versus 70 and, and 20. Um, I think that's what's hurting is because so many people, African-Americans uh, emphasis, don't understand that they can become homeowners. So we have a lot of mending to do. We have a lot of apologizing to do. We have to let them know that, hey, we made some mistakes. We're going to correct our mistakes. And we want you to be a part of that solution. So it's going to take, you know, if we if we could double what we do this year, next year, I think that's part of the, the solution, right? So we go from 60 homeowners and then the year after that, we go to 120. We go to then 240. I think it's possible. Do we have capacity at PPL? That's a good question, but I think it's possible. But I do think we have to start one closing at a time because I believe every successful closing can create two or three more successful closings because now somebody in your church congregation, somebody that you work with, somebody in your family says, you know what? My auntie did it, my uncle did it, my cousin did it. I know I can do it. So I do think we can get there, but we do need more funding. Um, so that's a little bit of a, a, a segue there. Uh, you know, if we had more down payment money to provide, I think we could fill even more gaps because there's a lot of gaps out there where people just don't have it. It may be 5,000, that might be 2,000, it might be 10,000, but there's a lot of people out there that could use the assistance of PPL. Yeah, well, and I couldn't agree more there, Henry. And I, I there, there's a there's a wonderful network of of nonprofits uh, here that are all associated with what's called the Home Ownership Center. I'll give a shout out to Julie Guggen and the Home Ownership Center that really is kind of the coordinating um, association of nonprofits working in this space on home ownership, on financial literacy, and. Um, and, and uh, again, there's much, much more that, that we at PPL and the other folks in those spaces could be doing and need to do. And there is an opportunity. Um, we've had a number of donors who have made, you know, very targeted, specific donations um, uh, to PPL to help us build that capacity. So if you're listening and you're so inclined, we would love to talk with you about that. Um, the, the work that you guys have been doing, Henry, has been absolutely fantastic. Um, this work does happen, one household, one family, uh, one individual at a time. Um, and, and it is all about modeling, uh, modeling new behaviors, modeling new patterns, and, and changing the narrative. Uh, so I'm really, uh, really appreciative of your time and your perspective and your work, Henry. Great discussion. Um, and thanks to all of you for listening in. I'm Paul Williams from PPL, and this has been the Race, Place, and Policy podcast. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, and if you have any thoughts or uh, ideas you want to share, just drop us a note uh, at communications at ppl-inc.org. 
uh, pass along your thoughts about which topics you'd like to hear about next. And we hope you'll subscribe and sign up for notifications from wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You can always find us on our website at ppl-inc.org. So until next time, uh, thanks much, stay safe and be healthy. 